From those in the know to those who need to know, this is the Indie Weekly Podcast. Hey everyone, this is Daryl from Indie Week. This is the Indie Weekly Podcast, taken from our sessions that happen every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. They're live, they're free, it's online. You can find out more information and sign up at IndieWeek.com. This session is something that we wanted to do for a long time and time just, it was scheduling didn't work. So I was really happy to get our guest, Margaret McGuffin from Music Publishers Canada. And we talked about some of the activities, the uh, projects that have been worked on, plus Margaret's extensive background and career in the music industry. Uh, This is something that really meant a lot to me to be able to do. So I hope you tune in. And just remember, Indie Weekly is free for everybody. It's live every Tuesday, 4 p.m. on uh, Zoom. And just go to IndieWeek.com for registration and details and all that stuff. Uh, We look forward to you being part of our community. So here we are. Tune in. I'm Margaret McGuffin. I'm CEO of Music Publishers Canada. Um, Music Publishers Canada is a trade association representing um, all sizes of music publishers operating in Canada. And we have one common voice for music publishers and work very closely with our sister organization at PEM in Quebec. Um, But we have quite a few um, larger Quebec publishers also on our board of directors and um, in our membership. (laughs) We are, um, I am primarily a lobbyist. I spend my time uh, talking to government um, to talk, to have them understand what music publishing is, do how I spend my time talking to government about how things like um, copyright um, is actually the infrastructure that allows songwriters, um, composers, and music publishers to get paid. So um, it is thrilling to do this. Um, I was um, always a um, little bit of a political junkie growing up as a kid and um, studied political science. Um, The really odd background of wanting to be a um, stage manager and also studying political uh, um, science and um, international affairs. (laughs) I have moved forward um, and over my career have worked on the label side, um, have worked with quite a few of the uh, collective management organizations in Canada. (laughs) Those are the organizations find money for for artist labels and songwriters and and composers and music publishers. And so I have this crazy background of knowing where the money comes from. Um, And and what I try to do now at Music Publishers Canada is find forums where we can talk about that and make sure that you as business owners and as creators are making sure you're getting paid where you should be getting paid. But we're also trying to push government to make sure we have policies and copyright that supports um, the business. Publishing is always that question mark a lot in, in, within artists and musicians, songwriters. So this is going to be great. And uh, just looking at the chat, we've got Ian from Berlin, Marcus from UK. Uh, we've got people from Whitehorse, BC. It, this is great to see. So keep it up. If you are just joining us, as I see people are still joining us, please let us know where you're tuning in from. Uh, and uh, don't be shy, ask questions in the chat and we'll try to address them. And Linda, I see you're there here as well. Linda's spoken for us uh, on songwriting before, so this is great. So Margaret, uh, music publishing, like I said, it's kind of like this sort of 
gray space and you know creators it's it's an interesting thing in working with a lot of artists creators want to create and and the business side is sort of like oh i don't know and and the hesitation to get into it but as we know hesitating can cost a lot of missed dollars and unclaimed dollars uh so can you maybe give us a little insight just what is music publishing as a definition yeah my staff gets tired of, of me saying this but i always say music publishing is the kept, best kept secret in the music industry um especially in canada i find a lot of labels and managers don't understand what music publishing is and how it operates and as a result um sometimes revenues are missed and so um, music publishers are the partner of songwriters and composers. Um, and uh, the important thing to understand is when you write a song or compose for film and television, you are immediately your own publisher. So even if you are not in a business relationship with a music publisher, it's really important for you as a creator to understand the lines of business and the royalties that are owed to you. Um, at the point when you enter into a relationship with a music publisher, um, that music publisher can look very different according to the type of company um, that you sign the deal with. Um, at a base, most music publishers are very good at finding the royalties and um, accounting to you as a, as a songwriter. But there are many different types of wonderful and um, creative um, indie companies out there. Um, some are very um, focused on certain markets. Some of them are very focused on getting you as a songwriter into writing rooms and to song camps around the world. Other ones are very focused on audiovisual and making sure that they're partnering with film and television companies to make sure the royalties are being collected from around the world. Um, one of our members, um, CCS Rights Management, you may know Jody Ferniehow, he started his company about 10 years ago and he works with songwriters, but he also works with a company called Spin Master and Spin Master is the, um, has that little known cartoon called Paw Patrol. It's the number one cartoon in the room. And for anybody who's got nieces and nephews and kids, you'll know there's lots of music. And so what Jody does and goes and collects the royalties around the world for all the plays of that, um, those compositions and those scores and those songs that are in the cartoon. Um, so the audiovisual side of the business is as important as the recorded side of the business. And um, we wanna make sure that we're getting more information out there so that we're nurturing more indie um, music publishers to come forward and work with us, um, that we're making sure we're having the best working environment for um, all of the publishers that are there now, but we're also making sure that songwriters, composers, and music publishers are paid. Exactly, and I, I have to bring this up because this is the other sort of thing that comes up and we end up talking a bit about all the time is the black box, right? So some people may have heard what it is, some not. Uh, can you tell us what the black box is? Well, I have good news for you. We have fantastic collectives in Canada, in CMRA and SOCAN, and we do not have a black box in Canada. So the black box is um, definitely applies in other territories. <laughs> it is what the new MLC in the US is addressing. 
But when I was a consultant 17 years ago, we went to the copyright board and we made sure that every digital service um, provides complete reporting to both SOCAN and CMRA. And um, in the case of CMRA, you can actually go to their website um, as a songwriter and as a publisher and see unallocated portions of songs and make claims on them. Um, so the black box, um, you know, as new services come in, they may not be able to report as well as we would like them to. And we need to keep working on that internationally and in Canada. But for the mainstream digital services operating in Canada, 100% of the logs in Canada get delivered to SOCAN and CMRA, and there is not a black box. That's, that's great news for Canadians. But it's one of those things about the unclaimed money that's out there and, and there's a lot of it at times and it comes down to how you're registering and metadata and we can talk about that in a bit but i'd like Thanks to sure. yeah but i'd like to focus on music publishers canada and your role um like how does it all work membership and and such like give us a little bit more insight on music publishers canada so our um primary members are Music, active music publishers with complete rosters. So you already need to be in music publishing um, to become a member. Uh, we have about 50 members who represent about 90% of the market here in Canada. Um, but we do lots of educational work um, with the regional associations in, um, we are um, also spending a lot of time going into um, post-secondary institutions and talking to their music business programs. We also launched a, uh, event with the MMF last year, where we did a two-day music publishing 101 course. We will be offering that again next year with MMF, um, so you can take a deep dive into understanding music publishing and how um, managers can work with music publishers on their team. Um, we're also offering um, in November, um, you can check out our, our web website and on our social media, we're partnering with Stone Hay, the entertainment firm, and we're going to be doing a music publishing and licensing um, course for film and television producers and the lawyers who are on their staff. We're also going to be um, launching a next gen um, membership category for the first time, and we're going to be looking at um, emerging publishers and the younger employees in our member companies to look for professional developing and development and networking opportunities. Um, so that's going to be an entry-level way to get involved with us. And um, especially for our emerging um, employees who are just starting out in the business, we want to make sure they're meeting the right people and they're getting the information they need to uh, succeed. Indie Week just announced the Indie Week Super Pass for 2022. What is that? Well, Indie Week Super Pass not only gets you into all four online conferences presented by Indie Week, but also access to any mentorships throughout the year. Just a little extra and you get so much more. For more information, go to IndieWeek.com. So it sounds like you're very also like actively in the education space, uh, which we, we believe is, you know, we have to keep developing our future. So, uh, and I got to say, Margaret, I've heard more about Music Publishers Canada in the last 12 months than I have in a long time. So uh, great work that you're doing uh, there. Yeah, it's, it's been really great to watch. Now, um, 
you know, there's a question here, for instance, that came up. Uh, how does a songwriter get a publishing deal to just write songs for other people? Because um, I think, you know, we're talking about music publishers, but think about like just the songwriter uh, aspect to it. How do they go about getting actually published? Well, that's a really good question. I'm just going to back up a little bit before I get to the answer. Um, to talk about when we looked at the top earning songwriters and composers at SOCAN a couple of years ago, uh, I was very interested about who they are. Um, a lot of people in the industry think that the people who are performing are also the people who write the songs. Um, but when we looked at, um, in a, one of the more recent years, the top 20 songs that were streaming, what we found were that there were 20 songs, over 90 different writers, and only 56 of those writers were in the band or the performing artists. So there was a whole number of lyricists and, and songwriters who were contributing to the song, to the beats, to the production, um, but they weren't the artists. And I don't think a lot of people, especially in the Canadian market, understand that. I think if you go down to Nashville, it's understood. If I go down to LA or over to the UK, that's understood a lot more, even in the K-pop market. There's, you know, in Korea, people are understanding um, the value of the song is separate from, from the artist. That's not understood in Canada as much. Um, and when we looked at SOCAN's top performing earners, 35% of the money in an average year goes to songwriters who are not the artist. And um, over, um, and then most of the composers who write are people you don't know. They are not performing artists. They are full-time composers. So about 65% of the money from SOCAN to Canadian songwriters and composers go to songwriters and composers who are not the artist. Um, the interesting thing is a lot of those songwriters and composers are working internationally too. They're Canadian, um, but there may not be as much work for them in Canada. So our members and those songwriters and composers really focus on the international market. In fact, for my indie members, um, 18 years ago, 25% of their revenue was coming from foreign sources. It's now 79% of their revenue is from foreign sources. So we're really focused on songwriting and composing as a craft and how those songs and those scores go around the world. So um, I don't think I answered your question there, but uh, if you want to pose it again, I'll go to it now. No, no, that, that was great. And like, I was actually taking some notes on those stats, which are, are really impressive. Um, we often say that Canada is an export type market. Um, and and uh, it is important to look at the international landscape because there's so much opportunity there that also brings it home to Canada as well. But I think when we're talking about how to get a deal, which I think is your original question, right. I think you need to be very uh, understanding the international market um, because Canadian publishers are looking for international songwriters. Um, so they're very interested in the international market and songs that, that will travel on various different platforms around the world. Um, a lot of my members will find you. Um, they will hear about you from the people you're co-writing with. Um, if you are an artist, they will see, they're following your streams. They're on TikTok. They are um, looking for their next songwriter. 
but there's a lot of networking that happens too. And the, the references that come from other songwriters and producers and beat makers you're working with will be the number one way to get into in front of a, a music publisher. Absolutely. And in fact, uh, I'll share a story. I've, I've shared it in past talks. Uh, I know Linda knows this one, but a friend of mine, he was a 45, 46 year old songwriter in Peterborough, but would travel to New York and Nashville alternating every second week or two weeks. It would be Nashville. Next two weeks would be New York and uh, was co-writing and always just looking for people to co-write with. And eventually, like, he called me up. He's like, I need help. I need, like, publicity. Can you get me interviews? A song's blowing up. And essentially, a song that he co-wrote in Nashville, the producer knew somebody with a record label. That record label signed Kimberly Locke, who came in number three in the first American Idol. And this song became her lead single, which meant she sang it on every morning talk show, every night talk show, and then sang it on American Idol. Uh, within two weeks, he had a publishing deal with Universal. Uh, and that's just simply going out there, making connections, collaborating. Like he just was so diligent on it. Every two weeks, he was going somewhere to co-write. And as you said, the, the producer was the one that connected to the record label, to that connected to the artist, and that ended up getting the publishing deal. But it's important not to take your first publishing deal. Make sure you have legal advice and make sure that it is the right fit for you. Because as I was starting to talk about earlier, there are some publishers who are essentially just business managers and manage the royalty flow. There are other ones. Um, you need to look at their international network. Um, they will have sub publishers and representation in other countries. So look at the markets that are important to you and make sure they've got a good publisher in those markets. Um, some are very creative, um, others focus on sync. I, they're all different um, and they all have a unique character that needs to match with what you wanna get out of that relationship. That's, that's such a good point, always, I think. Anyone, as you're team building, every person coming in as your team is valuable as far as they, they match what your goals are and what your needs are. And, and, uh, it could be the opposite results if they don't match. It could actually set your career back because if you're locked into a bad deal or uh, the other party isn't doing the work they said they're going to do, it, it's really important to always, like you say, have that representation, but really do your due diligence and making sure it's the right fit. And there's different types of deals and you need to understand what you're, you're signing. Um, the traditional English Canada deal is a co-pub deal starting with 75 cents on the dollar going to the songwriter um, and 25 cents going to the publisher. And um, there's also opportunity um, for administration deals where the min fee will be lower. Um, but in those cases, you may not be getting them pitching you for sync or really investing in you traveling internationally. Um, so when you take that higher rate where you're receiving um, 85, 90, uh, cents on the dollar, you may not get the same level of service from the music publisher. Absolutely. And there's a question I wanted to address because it kind of tied into what you were talking about a moment ago. Is there sort of like the same opportunities for uh, songwriters that exist in Canada that exist in Nashville? So writing for other artists like Nashville is 
music city. We, we know, and there's a lot of Canadians down there right now uh, doing really well, but is that same kind of opportunity here in Canada? Oh, absolutely. We have, we have um, uh, publishers who um, have the international relationships and they can get you into a studio as fast as, as a Nashville publisher. And you may get a little bit more attention because they really understand you as a Canadian songwriter. Um, it really, the location um, is not a barrier to, to success in other markets. Yeah. And I have to also do a shout out. Jody Fernihau is, is really great at what he's, what he's really great at what he does. So make sure you do follow up in all the companies Margaret is mentioning do take note and look them up. Uh, really important. Now we, we were kind of talking about the importance of publishing, but also making sure your data is correct. Uh, I, wanted to kind of ease into this t- subject a little bit because it's it's such a hotbed metadata and and all that we've we've gone into this digital world and publishing is evolving uh like tiktok didn't exist twitch didn't exist uh, so i'm gonna kind of maybe get, put you on the hot seat to like what is publishing and this role in all of these sa- cases but then as well uh, like as a summary, but also the metadata. Like let's let's maybe touch base on how that all works. Yeah. So at Music Publishers Canada, we want to do deals with the new tech companies coming in. Um, our number one problem sometimes is if they do not want to sit down and do the deal and want to use exceptions and other reasons for not paying. Um, we think everyone should pay, and once you're paying, that will those songwriters and publishers will be great partners. Um, so you, that's one side of my business. On the other side of the business, though, with metadata, metadata is the number one reason you do not get paid, and it's something you can control. Um, on the song side, um, when you register in Canada with, with SOCAN, you will get something called an IPI. That is your individual uh, personal number to make sure that um, there could be 17 John Telfers in the world, but we want to make sure the right John Telfer is uh, is paid. And so um, we'll, you, you need to know what your IPI is. And when you go into a co-write, um, make sure you are getting the names and the legal names of everybody you're writing with. And as soon as you can, after you leave the room or even before you go into the room, make sure you agree on the splits. Um, You know, the number one reason you won't get paid is because you haven't registered the song. The number two reason you won't get paid is if uh, there's 150 percent claims on a on a a song. So (laughs) make sure you're going in. Are you going with Nashville splits where everything is equal or is there someone in the room that you're agreeing gets a greater share? Um, Just send an email after um, and make sure that it's in writing and get that registered with SOCAN and with CMRA, um, and then that way you will get paid. Um, you will, as soon as you register a song, you'll get something called an International Standard Work Code, ISWC. Start a spreadsheet with the name of the song, the um, ISWC, if it's been recorded, and there's four different recordings, each recording will have an International Standard Recording code that you will have got from CD Baby when you uh, register with them. And um, if you're keeping track of that data, 
That allows you to then look at your royalty statements when you get them from SOCAN, CMRA, your international partners, your publisher, and you can see if you've been paid by everybody. Has Apple paid you? Has, has, has Spotify paid you? Um, start asking questions. And even once you get into a publishing arrangement, um, if you know what you're looking for, it's going to allow you to make sure you're paid. You know, you're speaking my language, spreadsheet. I, I tell this to every artist. This is amazing. I love this. So what I tell artists, whatever platform you're using to submit your music, they, there'll be a form to fill out. Take that form and make a, a row per cell match exactly what you're putting so that you've got your own offline or off their site record. Because imagine if you can't log in or something, you can't get access to that information. You want to have that because you're also possibly going to share it somewhere else later on. And it has to match. Like, that's the other thing, too, is, is wherever you're putting it, it it's got to match. So, so the metadata is something to work on, uh, be really diligent about. Uh, and that is how you are getting your claims, but also discovered as well. Absolutely. And, and you may have other people in your team who are doing this for you. Never stop looking at this. This is the key to getting paid. Yeah. And, and uh, I'll, I have to put on my CD Baby hat for a moment. Uh, with CD Baby Pro, we offer a publishing admin uh, deal, which means that we register on behalf of you and collect on behalf of you as an artist or a songwriter. Um, an administrator also, it's kind of like if there is a new platform like TikTok, we do the deal so that we can collect as well. So you don't have to worry. There's lots of great services out there. We're just one. Um, it's a kind of like makes it a little bit easier for the artist who doesn't have time to directly deal with all the associations uh, themselves. Um, and, and I want to put a shout out to CMRA, who's just done their TikTok deal in the last couple of months. So that'll, that'll be a new uh, source of revenue you'll be seeing. Yeah. Uh, and we love CMRA and Rebecca and her team. And uh, we know you yourself uh, have a great uh, history or background with CMRA. Um, and they're doing great, great deals. Uh, so I love what, what the work is going on. This is an exciting time because... These are all new income streams, new opportunities that didn't exist before, um, which again leads back to why metadata and your record keeping is so important. Um, and it's the same with SOCAN. SOCAN and CMRA have invested millions in technology to capture all those billions of lines of data and make sure that they're, they're matched um, at a really high rate and, and paid out. Absolutely. Do you mind if we grab another question? There's a whole bunch of comments going on. It's, sure. it's really great to see this. Um, and I know we've got to talk about a few more things that uh, you're working on. Uh, but this is, um, th it says, thanks for sharing, Margaret. This is Dallas. Um, I was wondering, is there data on which nations abroad are the largest markets? Uh, are most of the lyrics still being written in English? So it's interesting. Um, you can take a look at, I have uh, it's some really great data on sizes of markets. So um, it's a good reference point. Um, in terms of English, um, it's interesting um, that um, there, are, there are lots of opportunities, even in non-English markets for English native songwriters. And we found that 
going into Denmark and to Germany, where we went in um, with a B2B mission, but also a song camp. We do that quite regularly when we can travel. And um, the Canadians were very valued to be in the room as a lyricist, as a native English speaker um, in territories where business was done in English quite fluently, but they still creatively would like an, an English um, speaker in the room. So there, it's, it's an interesting um, thing to look at when you're looking at what markets you're um, targeting. Yeah, and if I could add to that, one of the things that's that's been really interesting to watch is the influence something like YouTube has had where they have the closed captioning and you're able to turn on uh, closed captioning and, and what's also, uh, there's a company called Lyric Find who's also partners with us. Um, they, they actually do lyric translations as well. And so one of the biggest things in, in the Latin American market that sort of we're seeing happen is that for the first time, Americans can understand Latin America songs because it's translated to English and like Miami and regions where there is a big Latin American uh, influence, we've seen a lot of numbers spike uh, for Latin American countries. And, and publishers, uh, the language isn't a barrier for them. They're looking at placing English songs into any market. They're also looking at putting English writers, um, um, beat makers, producers into um, writing rooms in other places uh, where the um, song that's being written is not in English. Um, that's happening all the time now. And um, it's interesting um, how specific catalogs can have uh, an importance in other markets and they don't come from that market. So one good example is Vince Giorgio, who's chair of our board um, uh, from um, Simba. And the, he's very, been very active his whole career as a songwriter um, and as a publisher in the Japanese market. Um, he's been able to find um, um, songwriting opportunities for his, uh, his um, writers in that market. Um, but he also um, administers now the Anna Preen Gables um, uh, historical uh, compositions. And the Japanese are mad for Anne. Um, so he's had all of those scores re-released uh, for Hegwood Hardy's estate in the last uh, three years. Um, and there's wow. just new life in the, those old songs. Yeah, that's a huge thing to know on the international market. What's old here is new somewhere else. And that, again, is more money making opportunities. Um, so as an artist, think if you haven't really pushed a song in a different territory, there's nothing holding you back from even starting that, even a song's 10 years old. Well, I think that's a big difference between publishing and the label side of the business. Songs are never old. You could have a song that is... 60 years old, uh, old and it'll end up in a trailer or it'll end up re-recorded for the 600th time. Um, so th there's new life all the time in, in old songs. Absolutely. In fact, I was just looking at some stats, uh, top 10 grossing songs of all time. And I think it was White Christmas is number one. Uh, Beatles were in the top 10. Um, I think Happy Birthday was in the top 10. And, and also there's like, it's, it seems to be like with songs, you know, they're timeless and, and that's, that's the beauty of it. Yeah. And that's why we're pushing term extension in Canada right now. We're behind our, our trading partners uh, with 
the life of the author plus 50 years. We want that that needs to move to life of the author plus 70 years by the end of next year. And it's because those old songs are still important. Um, we're seeing those catalogs move between publishers um, and there's value in that, in those old songs. They just continue to, to um, be recreated and, and used in new tech. Absolutely. And uh, just a couple more questions uh, based on some of the discussions that we've had here. Uh, can metadata be, and this is from uh, Rachel, can metadata be edited if it's input incorrectly? It can be, but try to get it in um, initially because the payments may not be made because it, you have incorrect metadata. Um, so you may lose out um, on royalties during a period, um, but the, the um, collective management organizations do have ways for you to um, correct your metadata. Right. And uh, this is from Cheryl. If an artist has an ISRC code for their song, do they also have to have an ISWC code? Yes, because an it's ISRC different. has nothing to do. It is for the recording. Um, it, the ISWC is, is what uh, is attached to the song. Yeah. And, and often as well, it's like uh, um, you'll have a collection of songs under an album. So there'll be a code for the album as a collection, but each song has a code as well. Um, so it, it gets to be a little bit, uh, you know, connecting dots. And that's why I always suggest have that spreadsheet that just lays it all out. And then there's no question. Also, if you have that spreadsheet, if you do end up with a publishing deal, it's easier to obviously oh, they'll love you. share <laughs> the information, right? Yeah. If you are going into that, you're going to look more professional and they'll, like you said, they'll love you. Screen by Screen Music and Tech online conference happening February 2022. Passes and tickets are on sale at super early bird pricing. So check it out. Save now at screenbyscreen.com. Now, I wanted to also talk about um, you're working on some other programs. And one of them is the Women in Studio program. Yeah. And and I, I just saw like the news article on CBC uh I saw it on LinkedIn and stuff. Uh, tell us a little bit about that project because it sounds amazing. So um, our publishers um, routinely uh, sign um, uh, producers and um, in, in the pop and certain worlds, the producer um, often is a songwriter contributor to the song. And so um, we really felt a corporate responsibility to be a leader in making sure there were more women, gender fluid, non-binary and gender non-conforming producers having opportunities. Um, what we found is that often women would not see themselves in that role, so they wouldn't pursue it, or they felt uncomfortable when they were in the studio. Um, and so what we're trying to do, and, and there's other programs out there that we're connecting with who do this, is really try to provide a support network and a mentorship opportunity for uh, songwriter producers who are already working in the field. So these <laughs> are, are, are um, producers that are already making a name for themselves and they want to move to the next step. Uh, we provide a seven-month program um, and primarily based on mentorship 
where we get leaders in the field to come in and talk to them about the technical side of the business. Um, we um, uh, encourage them to co-write and we set up co-writing opportunities for them. Um, but we also start focusing on branding, communications, um, financial literacy, how to set up a small business. Because as a producer, when you're moving out from the artist side of the business over to the production side, which many of these participants are, you, you now suddenly have to look at owning a studio and booking a studio and, and, and you're running a small business that's quite different from your business as a creator. Um, so um, part of this is uh, providing that opportunity for 10 participants this year, um, but also then connecting them to people in the industry and then um, also um, connecting them to the past years. Um, so now we're creating a community and, and um, we're, a really important part of this is for them to reach out to one another, to work together, um, but also um, to have somebody to talk about their gear with and, uh, and uh, listen to that track when, when it's not quite final. So um, we've been really super impressed with the group uh, over the last three years. And I'm going to be at Nova Scotia Music Week um, interviewing um, three producers. Um, and it, it's, they're great. Um, Reedy Smith um, and Bria Isabel um, came out of our program and Aaron Costello is in the program with the National Arts Center right now. And um, all noted songwriter um, producers who um, I want to um, spend some time with and talk about what they're working on. That is so exciting. And you know, Canada, Canada's always produced world-class talent. And, and it's so great to hear about these kind of programs that can hopefully help elevate, but educate and, and maybe do it a little bit faster. Cause we know this process is really long and laborious at times when you're on your own and to have a program like this, that where people can connect. And also like I, one thing I really loved that you said is they can connect with the past participants yeah. because now you're building on knowledge uh, and people who've gone through the same steps. That, this well, is going to be great. And we also ask each of them to volunteer back into their community. So you've had this opportunity. Now we want you to go into your community and look for a volunteer opportunity where you can be a role model. Amazing. I love that. You know, it, we've been talking community uh, over the year as we're building this online community. And, and a big part is participation. You have to participate. You have to help push that rock up the hill. Otherwise, it, it gets to be really heavy and difficult on your own. So, yes, I love that. Um, and, you know, talking about Canada's talent um, in Nashville, like I've been seeing online, uh, Karen Kozowski. Yeah, I, Karen's coming in to see her, talk to our group each year. She's great. Oh, amazing. We, we had her play early, early, early days of Indie Week. I was booking a club called The B-Side. And, you know, she's had top number one songs. Uh, she's going through a run right now, played at the Grammys and all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, one of the co-writers is Emma Lee from Canada as well. So, um, yes, that it's it's great to see these kind of programs because I really do believe Canada has top level talent, uh, and and a lot of it is still untapped. We still are looking to discover those, uh, you know, the hidden gems. So, how would somebody go about trying to be in the program in future? Well, I. I urge you to watch our socials at Cammy's Pub on various different platforms. And we'll be 
um, having another intake process next March. And, and, and what would you say, now I'm putting you a bit on the spot, like what are some of the tips as like, what would you be looking for uh, out of a applicant? Um, we're just looking for a talent. We're looking for you to be putting forward, not uh, just your songs as a songwriter, but also um, making sure you're putting in songs that you've produced. Excellent, excellent. And, and so that, now let's look forward, you know, as the tech just keeps changing, like, I, I don't know about you, but are you having a hard time keeping up with all the new things and gadgets and toys? And That's stuff? why I have teenagers <laughs> in the house, right? You have a 17 and 20 year old and um, they show you all the new gadgets. Um, no, it's part of my job and uh, constantly looking at uh, companies like YouTube and how we can do things better with them, but then exploring, um, you know, all of the new um, platforms that launch, like who knew that TikTok would be so big at the start of COVID, right? Like it's, it's more, Musical.ly has been here for a long time, their predecessor, but they've grown substantially over the course of COVID. Um, we're seeing more kids programming, full length animated programming on YouTube. That's a big change over the course of COVID. Uh, and we need to constantly just be also um, helping our publishers invest in the technology they need to keep up with it. Um, so publishers need to invest in technology. They need to have, um, you know, data experts in their companies. The creative will always be the heart of these companies, um, but the type of people that they're hiring to make sure that those billions of streams are, are captured and properly analyzed and timely payments are made, they're also investing in technology to, to help them do that. Yeah. It's, it's just an amazing space that we're in. And, um, I would say, you know, if you thought about 10 years ago, would you even think this is what it would be like? And I, I, it's exponentially growing. It's, it's going at such a fast, fast rate that borders are being taken down. This is the most international time to be. Uh, and, and being an export type of market, uh, this is the time to be collaborating and connecting, as I've said before. But it's, it's great to know that these publishing companies are investing in tech. Um, yeah, and we've been really lucky to be able to also keep up with our international uh, connections. Um, we would rather be on the ground, um, but we're, we uh, did a great 54-song uh, uh, song camp with the AIMP, um, the indie publishers out of Nashville, LA, and New York last year. Some great songs that have seen some great placements already. Um, we're going to Australia virtually uh, at the end of, of um, February for a song camp and for meetings with the, our, our, our sister organization there. Um, and then we're hoping to connect with some Nordic producers uh, and publishers next, uh, next um, fall. Um, uh, I don't know if you're aware, Harbor Fund is hosting um, a international conference um, uh, called Nordic Bridges, and we're one of the partners there, and and we'll be um, making sure we've got some uh, Nordic publishers and songwriters and composers coming into Canada as part of that. That's amazing. I, I love that kind of in hearing, person. In person, I know. I love hearing that. And uh, I just see, saw a question from Dallas, and I was waiting for this one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Are NFTs impacting the world of publishing? 
Well, it's a super interesting uh, discussion to be following um, because um, NFTs right now and, and the processes around them aren't able to pay out on various contributors to an NFT. Um, so it's really interesting. There needs to be some adaptation so that everybody's getting paid. As we talked about earlier, not every artist wrote their song. Um, and we got to be making sure the songwriters and the publishers are also getting paid. You can't just cover a song and then sell an NFT. Um, so it's it's entering into not just technical, but some really interesting legal questions around uh, NFTs. Right. And, and there was a follow up question from Scott. What are NFTs? Stands for non-fungible tokens. Uh, yes. And Patrick just added essentially digital assets and collectibles. So think like if you have hockey cards and are trading and selling it, it's like that, but online. And it's a lot of weird stuff. Uh, you have to invest time in looking into it. So Google it is the answer. Uh, is there anything else? Uh, we're hitting into the last 10 minutes. If anyone else has any questions, now's the time to please ask them. Um, is there any area that you feel we haven't touched on today that you would want our audience to know about? I think everybody uh, on the can for the Canadian market needs to be aware of we're inter we're entering into a really interesting um, eighteen to twenty four months um, of policy making at the federal government level in Canada, and I don't want you to just like turn leave now and not want to talk about broadcast policy and copyright, but um, we've got some very serious issues. In the first hundred days, the government, Liberal government has promised to looking at our broadcast act um, and music is definitely part of that discussion. And so it's going to be really important and really interesting to watch. Um, and uh, we also um, need to be not losing sight on the fact that our copyright act um, may not be keeping up with the rest of the world. There's been a lot of big changes coming out of the EU. It's been a nasty, nasty fight. Um, and we want to make sure people are prepared to have those conversations because I said it earlier, um, copyright is our paycheck. And we need to make sure that our Canadian uh, companies and our Canadian creators are getting paid. And, and there's some changes that are need, needed if we're going to do that in the digital world. Yeah. And you know what I would say if there's a positive to take out of COVID times is that I would say the government and the arts are talking more openly than they have in the past. Uh, a lot of cracks sort of have been brought to light. Uh, I know like Aaron Benjamin's doing a lot on the live music yeah. front. Um, but, but now it's like the talks are happening because we've been sort of pushed into that space. So um, that's a positive to take away and, and it's good to hear. And another positive uh, um, takeaway um, for Canadians is not every country has a Jeffrey Crossman. I know he's on and uh, global affairs is very, very kind to us and um, our um, work with Jeffrey, his colleagues and the consulates and, uh, and embassies around the world have been really important to our Canadian music publishers as they, as they do business. Yes. I, I, just saw Jeffrey's name in the, in the list there. And yes, shout out to Jeffrey. Uh, does a lot of work for us. Um, so thank you. Um, question from Mackenzie. How does standard music publishing differ from sync agreements or how do, those, how do these two things cross paths? 
well, a really good publisher will also be a really good person to, to pitch sync. Uh, so um, it is firmly within the role of a music publisher. Um, and you got to remember, music publishing and labels both pitch sync, but songs can be re-recorded and just licensed on the publishing side. And so it's really important to all of our um, publishers um, to have um, sync as part of that. We just um, did a... Um, webinar last year, last week um, with US um, uh, ad agencies and uh, music supervisors in the film and television space and in the gaming space. So we did three panels and um, tomorrow we've got um, 104 meetings set up with music supervisors in the US and our music publishers. It's key to what they do and to what we do for them in terms of events. Right. Excellent. And uh, another question. This is from Paul Hugh Anthem, uh, one of our loyal uh, members of the community here every week, which is great. Uh, how do you contractually safeguard a song not to be placed into a very violent scene and syncs? Is it possible? Um, often the songwriter um, gets to uh, gets approvals on on exactly what the, the sync placement is. Um, and so that needs to be clearly in your contract with your publisher. And there needs to be clear communication with you and the, and the sync team at your publisher. Yeah, it, it, a lot of times the artist has the right of approval at the very end. Yeah, um, definitely. Awesome. So, um, what's what can we expect from Music Publishers Canada coming up next year? Is there any new things that you can uh, talk about yet? Uh, any new projects? Any new campaigns? Uh, we're we're really interested in the future of work in music publishing because it is changing a lot. Um, we want to make sure that we're helping our, our company companies get back to the office. Um, for anyone here working culture in conjunction with Music Publishers Canada is um, doing a webinar um, at the end of the month. Um, we'll, we'll be talking about how to get back to work in a safe way uh, with advice from an HR professional. Um, so that's on our agenda. We want to get our publishers back in the office and back to work and back into songwriting rooms. Um, but we're talking about the future work too, um, because we're hiring different people into publishing companies. <laughs> we know that we're rewarded with a more diverse um, workforce. And um, we want to explore that with our members to make sure we're um, sort of, you know, best of the best in doing that right. Awesome. It, it's, it's Margaret, I got to say, I'm, I'm so happy to have uh, met you virtually. Uh, you know, um, Margaret has spoken for us in the past. And, and uh, like I said, it's taken a lot of time to kind of like figure out this time that we could talk here. Um, Margaret, thank you so much for your time. It's, it's amazing the work that you do. Like I said, I've heard about Music Publishers Canada much more over the last 12 months than I had previously. And, and it just is a credit to the work that you're doing. So um, any last comments uh, as we're about to wrap? No, nope, just remember it all starts with the song and uh, there's value in the song. Uh, sometimes that's forgotten, but uh, um, it's what I think about every day. And uh, keep in touch um, on our, our socials at Cam Mays Pub, but also um, email me direct at info at musicpublishing.ca. And um, we want to find more music publishers out there. You've been listening to the Indie Weekly Podcast. Be sure to visit IndieWeek.com for all the information on the conferences for 2022. Screen by screen, music and tech in February. 
Indie 101, Music and Business Education in May, Music Pro Summit, high-level music industry insight from professionals in September, and Indie Week brings it all together in November. Act now and get early bird pricing on an all-access pass to all four conferences presented by Indie Week. Details and much more at IndieWeek.com. Thanks for listening.